okay, stay calm. Stay calm. It's just politics. It's just the government. Nothing to get worked up about. This is what the Conservative government have done in about three and a half hours that they've been in power. They have cancelled onshore wind subsidies. They've made the planning rules difficult to even build wind farms. They've put a carbon tax on renewables. They've put a carbon tax on renewables. They've changed taxes on cars so that whether you've got a Porsche or a Prius, you're paying the same amount of tax after a year. They have cancelled solar farms. They're cancelling rooftop solar. They've privatised the Green Investment Bank. They've scrapped zero carbon homes. They've made fracking easier. They've made councils who don't want to frack have to frack. And Donald Trump, I know he's not technically their fault, but God, he might as well be in Tony Abbott. Oh, God. Oh, why? Right, here we go then. Hello, Dave. Hello, Ollie. Would you, Adam and Evit, we are back. <laughs> we are back. Many said it would never happen. Many said it should never happen. But it has. It is. We are. Hello. We are. Hello. And uh, hello, world. And the reason why we came back is because they couldn't keep us away. And since we went away, everything has gone rubbish. Uh, everything's gone rubbish here. Everything has gone rubbish everywhere else. Frankly, when we take our eye off this country and this planet, everything goes wrong, which is why we are your friendly little environmental podcast about why everything is weird and odd in the world of the environment and why can't people talk clearly. And it is just as well that we have returned. It is, it is, and we're here to stay, and today we are going to be talking about, well, with all this rubbish, we thought it would be a good idea to talk about some optimism. So we have got a very special guest, your friend and mine, the Right Honourable Professor, uh, well, that's not technically a name, is it? Alice Bell, who is a climate change optimism specialist um, and all-round guru and we're going to be asking her if we can keep a smile on our collective faces we also have coming up this week some sustainable from the last episode inhoff he's back tony abbott is here to tell us why there is one thing we should be doing and it ain't saving the planet uh, and from looking across another pond we've got another bit of uh, American in hoffing coming your way. Oh, and just uh, one thing to note, of course, we work for environmental charities, but these are very much our own views and not anyone else's. So if you've got any beef at all, beef it in our direction, won't you? Not anywhere else. Right, that's enough ado. Let's get on with the nothing. Sustainable of the week. So, yes, every week we have a little look at the nonsense that Guff, the hoo-ha spoken in the name of going green. And oh, this week we've got that awful, awful example of when evolution gets things wrong. Tony Abbott, president, prime minister even of the Australian island. What's he gone and said? I think this is pretty blinking awful. So you will remember, Ollie, cast your mind back to season one and the last episode, episode 18, when Mr. Abbott was our Inhoff. 
If you don't know what an Inhofe is, carry on listening. And we put him in there because he had uh, been getting his ministers to say how great it is to destroy the Great Barrier Reef and put coal mines on top of it. And he loves coal mines and he mm. loves destroying the planet and he hates wind farms and he hates you and he hates Arabella and he hates kittens. Hates everyone, <laughs> right? Um, and what he's gone and done is all these countries around the world have got to start uh, saying what emissions cuts they're going to make. There's a great big hoo-ha at the end of the year in Paris when all the countries are going to come together and try and pledge to cut emissions. And so Australia has had its go, right? And Australia has said it has promised to cut uh, emissions by something like 27% by 2030 relative to the year 2005. What do you reckon about that? Well, you know, that's some some emissions, isn't it? I mean, some emissions. all of these numbers are a bit sort of meaningless in, in isolation, aren't they? Or how does it compare to what other countries are doing? Well, this is the thing, you see. So it's crap, um, and <laughs> it, it, it's very crap. It's towards the crapper end of the crapper countries. Uh, it's basically the sort of target that you set if you don't care about climate change at all and you just like fannying around. Uh, the UK's is uh, an equivalent, the Guardian works it out, the equivalent is the UK has said it will cut about 48% by five years earlier on 2005 levels. So basically it's not very good at all. And the uh, esteemed boss of a thing called the Climate Change committee here in the uk has said mr abbott's hubris is staggering australia is fundamentally out of step and this puts australia among the don't cares of the international community <laughs> pathetic the point being right that uh, we've got to cut emissions by a great big galumph in huge flappy elephant of an amount not a teeny tiny little piddly bit well exactly not a teeny tiny flibbly wibbly mini bit or whatever it is but the thing is right he's not even saying that he thinks this is that good. That's politicians gone by. Even till quite recently, politicians would have spun this and said, "Oh no, it's 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 really good. Like it's for this reason, it's actually mega brilliant." And he's not. He's just going, "Well, let's hear what he actually says, and let's bring in my five-year-old niece Arabella to explain it all for us." The last thing we want to do is strengthen our environment. And at the same time, damage our economy. The last, literally, Ollie, the last thing that Tony Abbott wants to do, the last thing <laughs> is strengthen our environment whilst damaging the economy. I think he hasn't got his willy caught in his gene zip often enough. If he really thinks the last thing he wants to do <laughs> is protect the planet, um, then perhaps he needs to go on more blind dates with hippopotamuses or <laughs> eat a banana that's in the middle all black and rotten when you're not expecting it. Those are the last things you want to do, uh, not to save the planet. Oh, and you know what else he said? So it's this, this target that is basically crappy and is a little bit more arduous than, frankly, not bothering at all, just opening the room and farting out of the window, right? <laughs> uh, he, he says it is environmentally responsible, but above all else, and I can imagine him stressing that in his great big silly Australian voice, it's economically responsible too. We are not expecting a reduction in the coal industry. In fact, I suspect more mines will open <laughs> it's so passive isn't it yeah. it's like it's, it, he's not the prime minister i suspect more mines will open i mean it's just a guess it's something to do with the fact that i really want more mines to open and i'm the prime minister <laughs> but it's like no oh, they might who knows 
Oh, God, look, right, okay, enough of this, enough. Seriously, we need some cheering up. What about we get a guest? Ooh, who? Well, I know this person whose job it is is to be cheerful about climate change for a living. And her name is Alice Bell. She's the head of communications at Happy Clappy Charity 1010, whose job it is is to get solar panels onto the roofs of everyone uh, who looks pretty carrying a balloon. Um, and she's also What's worked as a... I don't know. It's a new series. I'm pushing on. Let me push on. Uh, she's worked in climate change for years as an academic, as a commentator. She's got a hundred gazillion fans on Twitter. She is Alice Bell. Hello, Alice. Hello. 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 Um, so we have got ourselves into a bit of a funk, into a bit of a, a bit of a mood. Um, and so we thought we'd ask you because your job is all about being cheerful, isn't it? Um, and how do you do that? How do you keep sunny side up? Um, how do you keep optimistic? What are your top tips? What can we do? I don't always. I would be would be the answer. I don't always keep optimistic. Um, oh. But yeah, sorry. Uh, right. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been <laughs> great talking to you. No, it's been a bad day. I've been reading the you know yeah the Australian pledge and I think what I do it when I was an academic, I had to work on my own and mainly. I mean, every now and again, you get to hang out with amazing, clever young people who often kind of use you and cheer you up a bit and give you hope for the future. Um, But a lot of the time, you're sitting in a library or just at a computer thinking about these poor young people and their future, and it can be, and looking at lots of graphs and stuff, and it it can be really depressing. And I found that I did get noticeably chirpier when I started doing more campaigning things, and I felt like I was working with other people to take action. And even if what we did was really small or it got really screwed over. Um, you felt that you were part of things going right and that um, was a reason to get up in the morning. Whereas looking at another graph about like sea ice melt isn't. Other so people- is, there, is there something then about, um, uh, and I hate to mention a philosopher this early on, but someone, and I don't even really know who this guy is, but someone mentioned Gramsci and said that you would know about Gramsci. Um, I have only read very small bits of Gramsci when I was uh, doing my sociology MA, which was a long time ago. But I have a memory of him like writing loads of stuff like in jail, uh, and it could all get quite dark. He's famous for saying, um, "Oh, pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will." Exactly, so, like, exactly. Yeah. So I was wondering if that if this is as an excellent example of that. Like, it's yeah, all a bit overwhelming, kind of when you put your mind to it, but when you when you get together with like-minded people who want to change and work towards it, it can be fun. And having hope uh, can get you is important because that is what will create the change. If you sit there going, you know, kind of taking what we might call a realist uh, approach, although, you know, it's a very mis- often misused word, but like, like we sort of sit there and you read it and you go, this is really awful. And I know the facts, I know how, how awful it is. Um, there's not really, it's often a bit difficult to go anywhere from that. I think that's where you mean the pessimism of the intellect, you're kind of being quite cynical is, is probably a, a wise position to take, but it's not going to help you do anything which would get you out of that. And so kind of maybe even a bit naive optimism will get you there because you never know, sometimes you do just even get part of the way to this big optimistic plan that you have. Uh, I think that's sort of how it, and the sense that the optimism can be enabling. But uh, enough of this optimism. Um, could you tell us about a particular low point 
uh, for for you in terms of climate change and, and campaigning. And have you ever felt like jacking it all in, like giving up? Um, I don't think I've necessarily felt like giving it all up. Um, there were times when you see other campaigners doing stuff that you think is a bit naive, and you're you just like, oh good god, if there's like the people who are meant to be on our side are doing something that bad, that can be really frustrating. <laughs> And maybe Do you we, mean this podcast? <clears throat> no, um, I mean, <laughs> uh, and obviously I wouldn't possibly mention anybody. Um, but sometimes, yeah, or you see people fighting or something like that, and maybe we worry about that too much, and we shouldn't uh, get too bogged down in that because there's going to be lots of different approaches, and it's easy to take these things a bit personally when you work in it. I, I found the um, so that when Deck's little end of term leaving present for us all uh, with all the announcements. <laughs> that came very thick and fast and the consultations with a very short consultation period over the summer and things that felt low. That felt, that felt hard. There was kind of like, well, Mm -hmm. so many of our plans and all these things that we had that we knew were going to be a struggle just got a lot harder. And that, that was a low point. But then we thought about, you know, different things we could do and how it wasn't going to end things entirely. And things like, we know that eighty percent of the eighty percent of the population likes solar solar power. That's amazing. Like nothing gets that amount of like support. Like, politicians never get anything like that kind of support. I mean, so you know, you've got a public mandate kind of thing. There's sort of things that can lift you up. I think I- only about seventy five percent of the population like ice cream. Oh, you're amazing. I feel like giving up 25 times a day. I've thought about giving up six times during this interview already. <laughs> um, I, I feel like giving up now. You you like you like a laugh and a giggle. That's why we got you on because we like a laugh and a giggle as well. And you like knob jokes. And we like knob jokes. Um, but is laughing in the face of the fact that we're all going to die completely actually insane? Are we all just massively deluding ourselves? Is it completely naive? Um, or is 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 laughing in the face of tragedy a healthy response? Do you think? Um, I think there's quite a lot of points where it could be quite crass. I think that's one of the problems that climate comedy when people try and do that can have apart from the fact it's often quite forced um not funny (laughs) although i this is your joke and i've stolen it and i plan to reuse it a solar farm being where they grow little solar panels so you know climate has comedy Uh, but no there are like um there are i think it, it can be really easy to be really crass about it and you've got to be kind of careful about that um and i think one of the things actually we're not very good at in in climate campaigning, but also just every everyday conversations, I think this spills out to people who care about it loads and people who care about it a bit. I don't think anyone is very good at dealing with how awful it is and um, kind of taking time to think about how awful it is. I think we make jokes and we go, oh, I'm going to give up or, or we sort of find kind of temporary coping measures. But there is a kind of deep awfulness about climate change which we have to carry around with us and maybe humor is one way of getting through it and we need more of it but i think generally coping strategies for talking about that and seeing it uh maybe it's grief part of it probably is a lot of grief because we're losing things and people um and spaces uh i think yeah i think that's probably something i'd worry about more than than the jokes so talking about um losing things i lost my shit the other day when donald trump <laughs> said his stuff uh should we should we all just go to mars or anywhere or 
the the oh, centre of the earth. What what? How do we respond send, to Donald Trump? Can't we send? Yeah, can't we send him to Mars? Yeah, I know. And it's like, what is it? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where there's a planet, and they're like, we want to get rid of all these annoying people, so we're going to tell them that an asteroid's going to hit. And everyone's going to go into spaceships, and they've been specially chosen to go in the spaceship first, and they send them <laughs> off. And then everyone else is like, "Yay, we got rid of them." Can we like do that with like Trump and Abbott and stuff? That is a brilliant idea. That right, helps. let's get to work. Um, Alice, give us. Um, we, we're gonna we're gonna be here for a while doing this podcast. We've got a, a great depressing slew of episodes ahead of us in which everything is going to get worse. Um, so what three things should we remember? Give us three things to be cheerful about next time we fall into a little, a little mope. Three. Um. <laughs> start with one thing, with one thing. <laughs> and then try, try and find two more. All right. So this is a big one. This is the one that I always use as like one of my core kind of like, if I'm feeling, Oh God, what you start to read the four degrees warming projections. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, when I was an academic, I used to have a desk that was just really good for hiding under. And I just feel myself sliding under the desk. Mm. And the thing I'd remember that would like be the thing that would get me sitting up straight is we kind of, we discovered it in the first place. Like the fact that we saw climate change coming is pretty amazing because it's not obvious. And that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to communicate to people and we have problems with climate scepticism or just inaction is it's not it's not obvious. It is this kind of existential threat. But we saw that. And that's that's really clever. That is centuries of science and technology and advanced measuring method, methods and people putting one area of weird science together with another and thinking about it even though it was a horrible thing that they were, they were seeing and taking the data and being challenged by that and then challenging other people to take that data and like build policies. And yeah, we are not acting nearly fast enough, but we know and we've got that warning and we could just be sitting there thinking, you know, it's, it's it rained a lot the other week. It's a bit hot, you know, bits of islands are disappearing and, and be puzzled about that. But we, we've got that warning and we've still got, we've still got a lot of room to act. It's not like that. I think that's mm. that's a kind of important, hopeful thing. So that's one. Like we're clever. Okay. We're yeah. clever, and that's probably what got us into this mess with all the machines and the burning of the oil and everything. But it's also we're clever, and we'll have new ideas to fix it. And we saw it in the first place. That's a good big one. Number like two like would be the golf courses going solar is pretty awesome. In Japan, there was all these disused golf courses, and they're just turning them into solar farms. Wow. Um, you know, Japan, not the most ambitious pledge for the UN talks, but that's a cool thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, if it was up to me, we'd do that with golf courses that had golfers on them. And number three is uh, I just like would plug a project that I work on, which is the town of Balcombe in uh, West Sussex, which is known as, well, known very quickly as the fracking village a few years ago because it was the site of like the first big fracking protest in the UK. And in the end, the frackers left, but the villagers were a bit like, we're kind of like, we had to deal with this issue of energy and climate change. And all these people had rolled in and like argued with us. And a lot of the villagers had been part of the protest, but also some of them had been pro-fracking and they were all kind of a bit divided and they really know what to do. And then someone said, why don't we set up like a community solar project, which would have have loads of solar power in our village we'll see if we can match the amount of electricity that the village uses with solar panels um and it will all be community owned so you don't have to worry about big companies coming in and wanting to drill our ground we'll own it and it will be climate friendly 
And uh, everyone thought, oh, that's a lovely idea, you know, patting them on the head. But they're doing it. They're, they're going um, 100% solar. And they're inspiring other towns like that. Barton Moss, which was the site of the fracking protests in 2014, a year later, they've set up a very similar group and are all ready to start uh, looking towards their first site for solar. And um, we think there's groups in central Lancashire and several of the other places that are sort of threatened by fracking at the moment that want to do that too. And it's this kind of amazing... All the towns are kind of uniting around solar and using all these uh, social networks that they built through being anti-fracking to build something really positive off the back of it. The way in which the British public has responded to fracking isn't just to protest, it's to quite passively, aggressively fill all of their towns with solar panels. Yeah, yeah that's, that's delicious, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Alice, thank you so much for coming on. Reasons to be cheerful. Yes, reasons to be cheerful. Not only have we had the wonderful Alice Bell cheering us all up, but we also, every week, try to look at some of the good stuff that's gone on. And I tell you what, you know all that ranty stuff I did while we were aw- about things that happened while we were away, you know, mm-hmm. then killing all renewables and yes. stuff. Yes. Well, what also happened, right, was God's own representative here on Earth went all bloody eco. Justin Timberlake. <laughs> I missed that. Bieber. 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 (laughs) No, the old popester. Pope. Old, uh, the old Argentinian pope. Pokey face. (laughs) What did he say? What did he do? He came over all, 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 um, all, all, he came over, didn't he? He came over. (laughs) He came over. Came over all, all uh, encyclical is what he did. He came over all encyclical. Oh, I'll tell you what, a couple of weekends ago, I came over all encyclical. Yeah. Limey. (laughs) less said about that the better yeah he does this thing right where he sort of issues a big old think pc type thing about what god's told him in his sleep and and then he says and this is what we catholics now believe and you all the kind of bishops and and whatever in the catholic world all like billion of you have to go and sort of preach it from your your pulpits and, and talk about it to your to your mates in your churches. So it's a big deal. And he mm-hmm. did this amazing thing saying that, you know, the planet is in trouble. We need to fix it. It was, and we need to fix it in a socially just way. It, it was, it was cool. Yeah, pretty much what he did was he went up to Tony Abbott in the playground and he poked him in the eyes, kicked him in the shins and kicked him in the ghoulies. And now there is a fight because what he said is that basically if you don't do anything about climate change, you are going to hell and you will burn forever. Stop burning coal, you bastards. Exact words, wasn't it? Pretty much as exact words, except in Latin, obviously. I don't speak Latin. Stop burning coal. Coal is not, as people like Tony Abbott say, uh, the the greatest gift to humanity. It's bad for humanity because it's destroying humanity. Humanity, um, and that what we are doing is we are completely and totally knackering the planet and anyone who thinks that is a good thing is no friend of god who do you reckon would win in an actual fight between the pope and tony abbott ollie oh the popester every time he's got a mobile that's i true. don't see an i don't see an abbott mobile no that's it it'd kick him in the ghoulies as he said poke him in the eyes and then get in his mobile and mobile away He's got that big swingy incense thing that I reckon he could wind up like some sort of <laughs> papal nunchuck. Well, that is not all that's happening. So you've got, you know, the leader of the of the Christian, well, at least the Catholic world. Get it right. Going over all ego, right? And you've had all-round hunk, friend of the show, Barry Obi, President Obama. I read his book over the summer. I love him even more than I used to. Just don't mention the drones. 
He's come out with a bit of a kind of legacy of eco-loveliness. What's he done, Dave? It's great, isn't it? So there was this thing he said he was going to do a while ago, and now he's been and gone and done it, where he has said that uh, emissions off of power stations have got to be cut by a great big amount, 32%, as you say, numbers, numbers, numbers. Anyway, more than Tony Abbott thinks uh, by 2030. And the reason why this is significant, right, is if you compare it to well firstly america is massive right and so america doing stuff on climate change does matter and because his language is really strong and he says it's really important and that we need a transformative step in emissions and all that so that's really important but also compare it to your man tony abbott right so barack obama has got right across the uk the uk that's the little one the usa (laughs) that's the big one um right across the usa Loads and loads of coal mining, loads and loads of coal jobs and loads of Republicans that think coal is great. Um, like Mitch McConnell, who oh, won this, re-election. This guy's amazing. He is amazing, this isn't is amazing. he? amazing. Yeah, Senate Majority Leader won, won re-election last year in Kentucky with a simple slogan, says the Guardian, of uh, coal, guns and freedom. <laughs> Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it's a Barack Obama, who is, you know, you, you think this is great. I, I guess I do as well. He's on the way out, so he can kind of afford to do this stuff. But he's making it his legacy project of going, sod you. Check this out. I am going to regulate your ass. <laughs> it is It is good. It is good. I'm sure um, people can call in and tell us why it's not as good as it could be. And, and that's almost certainly the, the case. But it's... The cold is so massive in the States and it is such an important thing to be to be facing out. And if this is, as some people are saying, effectively, you know, the death knell for, for coal, um, or at least part of it, then that is that's good news. That's very good news. And I, I admire him. I think that's an we could call him the anti inhoff. Should we have a new section? Anti inhoff of the anti-inhoff. week. Anti inhoff. Anti inhoff of the week. Inhoff of the week. Oh, God. Inhoff of the week. So for every anti-inhoff, there, of course, must be a countervailing force, and that is the inhoff of the week, the person who has done most to get our goats to rile us, to just prove that humanity is incapable of progress. And that person this week is... Donald J. Trump. Oh, my God. How in the name of bloody hell has he avoided being in Hoff up until now? He is such an in Hoff. Have you seen the stuff he's been coming out with over in America? Oh, it's extraordinary. It's, it's just extraordinary. If you thought politics in the UK was weird or wherever you are, the fact that someone like Donald Trump can be apparently within a serious grasp of not only getting the Republican nomination for being president, but actually, you know, winning and being president is just, oh God, oh God, what's he been saying, Dave? Well, so it's not just what he's been saying now. So for years, he's been saying things like global warming is a total and very expensive hoax, you know, because there's some snow somewhere. Um, Uh, You know, the literal, the the literal in-half argument um, (laughs) that basically what the global warming hoaxers do is that any time there's a weather event, they talk about it in order to justify higher taxes. I love the way that every time, so a lot of this comes from Twitter and a lot of his tweets, in fact, all of them, whenever he says global warming, and or hoaxers, it's in capitals just to make you know he means yeah. it and he's serious. Follow, 
followed by lots of dollar signs <laughs> as well. Um, and so the reason why he's in Hoff this week, as opposed to in Hoff you know, any time in the last forever years, is because he is uh, ahead, isn't he? Is he? Well, I'm so led to believe. Race. I'm not actually dared look this one up, but I, I have seen reports that he's leading the polls to um, to get the Republican nomination, which is a joke. I mean, it must be a joke. Oh. It's got to be someone's having a, a little, joke, isn't it? a little Mickey take. But he's not going to win, is he? Because it makes me think a bit of what's going on over here in lovely lovely fluffy united kingdom land where mr jeremy corbyn at the time of speaking who if you'd have said to me the weirdest thing that has happened in the time we've been away is that jeremy corbyn is quite likely to be leader of her majesty's opposition (laughs) in a few weeks time this is jeremy corbyn who is about as old school anarchic and stroppy a left winger as you could possibly get um exceptionally unfashionable and people like him because he's anti-politics and Ooh. that is what people like about donald Ooh. trump isn't it what's going on is the world gone completely bad? i don't know that's if that's why people like him he's anti he's anti the kind of politics we've had to endure and certainly in this country for 20 years or so you know in fact the very stuff that this podcast has a go at the babble the guff the the non-speak the the meaningless bland sentences that never finish but never say anything He's like, he's yeah. a politician, whether you agree with this stuff or not, who says, well, it's this. This is the thing that I believe in. And it's not a meaningless sentiment, sentence. It's And where he's got real credibility, it's stuff that he's been banging on about uh, for, for 30, 40 years. You know, he, he really has got form on all, all, all these policies. You know, his... Who are you talking about then? Corbyn or Trump? What? No, Corbyn. <laughs> Corbyn or... But isn't it the same with Trump? I no. mean, because the difference is that you, the difference is that Corbyn says stuff that lefty people like, and Trump says stuff that righty no, people but, like. No, but that's Trump, what Trump, Trump's Trump been saying this stuff. I've just told you. I've just told you. He's been saying this stuff about climate change for yeah, 10 but he doesn't years. have any policies. He just hurls insults. Corbyn has got very clear views on stuff like Trident, on stuff like austerity, on stuff like well, on the environment. He came out with the, the stuff on the environment, which was broadly very good, apart from when he accidentally said he wants to open up some of the coal mines in Wales but we'll gloss over that but he's um, no I think he happens the fact that he's kind of old and beardy and wears seven shades of beige apparently doesn't really matter to people and, and that's nothing like the politics we've been sold for the last 20 years that's why it's different and refreshing and interesting but of course, one of the things that's happened uh, also while we've been away is that in the UK, um, the Conservatives, who won an election just before we went away, so we decided to go away, <laughs> um, have taken an axe, as you said right at the beginning, to all sorts of stuff. And they've done it under a cover of basically a kind of, uh, this is what the right wing want, right? And so <laughs> well, what is yeah. Donald Trump just basically being like an exaggerated version of that? Is it, how scared should how scared should I be? I'm scared. It is should quite scary. Really it is scared. quite scary. Well, yeah. it's scary partly because these things are cyclical, aren't they? It's, it's not usual that you get eight years of Democrat followed by another eight years of Democrat. Um, and the same applies for Republicans. So there's, who knows, but there's a reasonable chance that just because people want something different, there might be a Republican in charge this time round, and and there's a reasonable chance that it'll be him, um, which is which is terrifying. The, the guy's a moron, uh, but I don't think it is quite the same as what's going on in, in the UK. Although it's bloody scary here as well, because what's what's really frustrating is that they had a manifesto. We banged on about the manifestos, and we mentioned that in a Conservative manifesto, they said they're going to effectively stop onshore wind, right? And so I didn't have that much of a kind of 
well, I did have a problem with it, but I could understand why they then, when they got into power, killed onshore wind. If they said they were going to do it, they did it. But it's all this other stuff, which they never said they were going to do. They never said they were going to kill solar. They never said they were going to make your Porsche the same taxable as your Prius. They never said they were going to get rid of the Green Bank and all the rest of it. They, they're just doing it either for you know headlines in a paper that says, look, we're tough and we're, I don't know what, or, or because actually they've got quite a small majority and the right, rabid right of the party uh, don't like any of this green stuff from a kind of ideological standpoint and therefore we have to get rid of it is what they think. I don't know, but it's, it's bad, it's scary. Prediction time. Mm, prediction time. So this is the bit where we show that we have that little extra bit of insight not available to mere mortals because, uh, well, we, we correctly predicted namely three times in the last 18 episodes what would happen in the following week. Uh, so it's 2-1 to me. I got two of them right. You got one of them right. So I'm twice as good as you. But, um, well, we're about to prove that wrong because I made a prediction at the end of the last season. Uh, and what well, should I, I well, let's just hear what I said. Well, uh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we have no idea when we'll be back on the air. So I predict... Yes, we do. We'll be back at the start oh, of okay. July. Uh, I predict that between now and then, uh, a major bit of European environmental legislation yep. that we like yep. is going to be scrapped. Yep. yep. Scrapped? Well, they'll do something... The UK will find a way of of, of saying, okay, they, it won't be scrapped. They will say they're going to scrap it as part of the renegotiation. Yeah, see, I did say at the time I thought that was a bit of a stretch. But you were insistent. You did say. You will know, of course, keen listeners, did. Pre- I did predict we'd be back at the start of July. So I'm not exactly <laughs> showering myself in glory either. But that didn't happen, has it, yet? I don't well, think, not, has it? Not that I know. I mean, I thought, I thought they'd just be banging on about Europe. Um, as um, yep, yep. Yep, yep. Uh, yep. more than anything else, but it turns out they've just been killing anything green. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, as, as far as I know, they haven't uh, really gone after European legislation that we like. Although there is a big consultation about uh, laws to protect nature, isn't there? So. Hang on, I'm going to play the sexy consultation music. Good. Well, speaking of sexy consultations, then it's my turn, isn't it? So I'll I'll have the first the first prediction of uh, season two of Sustainable, and I reckon that by the next episode of Sustainable, episode twenty, episode fans, everyone is going to have got exceptionally pissed off about feed-in tariffs. Do you know what a feed-in tariff is? I do know what a feed-in tariff is, yeah. It's a really good thing which the government's getting rid of. <laughs> or trying to... Yeah, right. it's a way Basically, of, yeah. That's, yeah. that's what it's, it is. It's, <laughs> it's a way, a very successful, it turns out, way of incentivising people to put solar panels on their roofs of their, their homes and their schools and their community colleges or whatever because it pays you a little bit of money for every bit of clean, lovely sunshine energy you produce from that panel. Mm. Yes, and uh, this government hates them, so they're going to destroy them. Um, and what I reckon between now and next week, um, everyone will have got very, very upset about finding out exactly what it is the government proposes to do. Do you know what I've just remembered, Dave? I just remembered another thing they've done. Another thing they've done. Bees, right? There was a big ban on pesticides that, like, kill bees, and they've gone, eh, we'll overturn that ban. 
you can plant some of those pesticide treated seeds and kill some bees Uh, well literally the last thing that this government would want to do (laughs) would be to save bees but damage our economy (laughs) that is the final final thing they'd want to do sorry I hadn't thought about that Okay, well, that is just about it for this week. It has been a joy to hear your dulcet tones coming from the People's Republic of North Somerset, as they do. And thank you, as ever, to wonderful Dickie Moore. Uh, He might not even know that we stopped doing this. I don't know if he listens, but it is wonderful music. Plays us in, plays us out, and fills in the the twiddly bits. Uh, Thank you so much to Alice Bell for joining us. That was really, really wonderful, and we hope to have a little bit more of her because she said loads of good stuff in that interview and we didn't have time to put it all in yep thank you arabella for helping us uh, crack open season two uh, as always tell us what you think of the show get in contact on twitter at the babble wagon on our facebook page just find sustainable or email us at hello at sustainable dot fish and if you've downloaded this podcast which you obviously have idiot dave obviously <laughs> people have downloaded this podcast tell tell the world how much you like it leave us a nice review uh, that means the world to us and it means one day somebody might actually uh, listen to this who is our mum <laughs> very good all right we will see you next week bye bye